there is one thing that I, that I have to say on Easter. It's a, a tradition uh, it has been going on since some of the first churches. Uh, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen, amen. I'll read a few uh, passages of Scripture to set, help Matt set up the message this morning. Uh, we're going to be reading out of uh, John. We're going to be starting with uh, chapter 19, verse 30, and then we're going to move through into chapter 20. I believe these will be on the, the screen behind me if you want to follow along. Uh, and it says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. In verse 38, After these things, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as it is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Let us pray. Father God, as we come to you now preparing to take communion, Father God, help us to prepare our hearts prepare our minds for this message, for this day of celebration, for the day that you have given us to celebrate the, the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. For without it, we would all be lost. Father God, it is a glorious day, an absolutely amazing day. Father, we praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Good morning, everybody. You doing okay? It's good to see a full house today. Uh, I went to pick up my uh, little boy at uh, Sharon's first friend's play school. I said that right, Sharon, right? And, and I was greeted by two little girls, Allison's little girls, and they yelled at me as soon as I walked in the door to pick up my son. They go, Jesus is alive! And I was like, whoa, that is awesome. And I want you to know something. This is a cataclysmic event. This is the greatest thing ever. I woke up this morning. I got sick on Friday. I've had a lot of prescribed medication this morning. But I am so incredibly excited for Easter. And I'm excited for us to celebrate it together because this changes everything. Death no longer reigns. He is alive. I'm Matt. I'm the pastor here. I'm excitable, as you can tell. And the other guys you saw get up and talk, they're our elders, Te uh, Kevin and Tom. And we're just so glad that you're here. I wanted to introduce myself because this morning we're going to spend some time in God's Word, in John's Gospel, and we're going to look at the resurrection and what it means. And as we do that, as you, we're going to be in John chapter 20, if you want to just go ahead and thumb there. If you don't have your Bible, that's cool. It'll be on the screen here in a second. I, wanna, I, wanna, I got asked a, a question by my wife two times in a period of about 10 years, uh, maybe not 10 years difference, but you know, seven or eight years, and one response uh, was really bad, and one response was really good, Okay. My wife, we hadn't been married very long. We got married early, not like medieval early, not like like 13, not betrothal, you know, like that. We got, I was like 20. Most of y'all think, that's a baby, okay? I was 20. She was older. Um, ha -ha. Love you. Had to point that out. And uh, we, when we were... Uh, we hadn't been married very long, and we're living, we're going to the Baptist College of Florida, and we hadn't been married. We don't have anything really in our apartment except for like hand-me-down furniture, and I'm 20. I like video games more than I like most anything else, you know, and and she, I walk in the door one day from class, and she goes, guess who's pregnant? And I was, <gasps> and I hit the, I literally hit the wall and slid down it because I thought the next thing was me, and I was going to be like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. And she said, no, not me. Thank you, God. Okay. I said, no, no, not me, our friends. Oh, thank God. Now, fast forward several years later, 2011, and we have been trying for some time to, to, to become pregnant. And she asks, well, she wakes me up first off. The first thing in the morning, she wakes me up, and she hands me a jar full of olives. I can barely put words together, and now I have olives in my hand. I don't understand it very well. And on the jar of olives, it has Psalm 128.3 on there, and it says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be olive shoots around your table. It's early, pre-coffee. What are you talking about? I had the, the, the little hair that I have was uh, like standing up, uh, from, from sleepiness. I had lines on the face. I, what are you talking about? And she said, guess who's pregnant? I said, you? Yes. I mean, it was like totally different responses. And I bring this up for one reason and one reason only. It's very likely that you've heard the Easter story before, no matter who you are, no matter if it's your first time here, you're, you've been here all the time. You may have heard the Easter story a bunch of times, and, and sometimes we go to church and we just go through the motions, but I want you to know something. This message is so important, and how you respond to it can change everything about your life. And don't 
just think that because you responded one way before with indifference and how it, it's, it's a cool story, but it doesn't really matter in my life. Don't think for a second that that's how you will respond today. In fact, go ahead and take that out, and I want you with just just with clear eyes and with new with a new heart and a new fresh day. Just like we see the 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 things that have been dead all winter long spring to life. I want you just to take a minute and think: this could be a different day. Not because you just show up to the Journey Church, not because you're sitting in these seats, but because of God's Word. I'm tell you something: when you hear the story of Jesus and it makes it comes deeply rooted in you, you will respond. And so I want you to look at this in John chapter 20. I want to focus first on the good news that which you need to respond to today. There's good news. Those, uh, Allison's little girls, when they yelled at me, he is alive, that's really good news. It's really good news, and it was for the disciples. If you go to John chapter 19, verse 30, at the end of the culmination of Jesus' life and ministry, he's hung on a cross to die. And he's hanging there, and he gives up his spirit after he cries out these words. It is finished. It's done. And then what does it say? He bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. These are some, it is finished. There are three of the greatest words in, that you could ever hear this morning. Because here's what happened. Jesus, the gospel of John has been showing us that Jesus is the God-man. He is fully God and he's fully man. It's, it's seen that way in all of his I am statements. He would say stuff like, I am the good shepherd. And if you know anything about the Bible, even if you don't know anything about the Bible, you've probably heard this verse before at a funeral or, at, or maybe on an Afghan or maybe it's on a plate. The Lord is my shepherd. The word Lord is I am that I am, Yahweh in the Old Testament. And Jesus, when he said, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, I am God. And he's connecting it to Psalm 23. And so he is saying, I am God. And he shows he is God by miracles and signs and wonders. It's all throughout the Gospels. These stories that are written by eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry. And then what happens? According to the scriptures and according to what Jesus called, he said, I'm going to be betrayed I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be killed. And this is the culmination of it in the fact that he says, it is finished. Now, he was the God man. He never sinned. Not once did he sin. But why did he go to the cross? Why was he betrayed? He was betrayed, and he went to the cross willingly. Why? To bear sins as a sacrifice. All of the weight of sin and the wrath of God, the just anger of God because of sin was placed on Jesus on the cross. From the time of creation and when our first parents sinned and mistrusted God and went against his word, sin and death had reigned. You don't believe me? Just think about what happened in Brussels this week. Sin and death has been reigning. Just, if you don't believe that sin and death reigns in the world, and has reigned forever, just look at history. All the dictators and the kings, all the murders, all the plagues, all the genocides in the world. Not only that, go, go and look at your own heart. 
Think about the selfish responses you may have made this week. Think about the unjust anger that happened. Maybe you had road rage, okay, and somebody cut you off, which is a real possibility in one of the fastest-growing areas in the country because everybody's driving, and they drive like mad people, and you're like, I want to kill you. And you're like, well, that's kind of a harsh response to you not using the blinker. But that's where our hearts are. They're so dark and wicked and sin. Thank you for the trickle. It's okay to laugh, by the way. If it's not funny, that's fine. You can throw things later, okay? Please don't throw anything. I can't handle that. But sin and death has reigned. But 2,000 years ago, the the sinless son of God, God in the flesh, came bearing sins on the cross as a substitute for those who would believe. The wrath of God was poured out And he declared, as he gave up his spirit in death, he says, it is finished. I paid the price so that all who believe might know eternal life. And then we get this scene that Kevin just read in John 20, verse 6. Mary Magdalene's already been there, seen seen that the tomb is open. She goes and finds Peter and John. They run up, verse 6, and Simon Peter came following after him, after John. And he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothing lying there, and the, faith cloth, the face cloth. Now, just so you know, when they, they wrapped up the bodies in linen clothes, when, when, linen cloth when somebody died. It was their embalming technique. So they wrapped up. They wrapped up the person in that. And so what does Peter find? He saw the linen cloth lying there in this tomb. Now, the tombs were different. It was, a, it, was a, it was a rock area. It was like a cave, and there was a place. And we know from further readings in John that this had never been used before. It was a borrowed tomb. And they laid him in there. They would have laid him on a stone, a stone area, and they, would have, they, they laid him there, and they rolled this big stone. We also know from other gospels that they put guards, Roman guards around it, and they sealed this tomb with this massive stone. And so we walk in there. And in verse 7, it says this. They see the linen clothes lying there on that, on that little area in the cave, in the tomb. And the face cloth, which, they had, which had been on Jesus, Jesus' head, was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a place by itself. That's significant because it shows that his body wasn't stolen. Because what thief, when you got Roman guards out in front, would take the time to unwrap a body? especially a body as mangled and beaten as Jesus' would have been from all the crucifixions and the flogging and this pierced side. It would have made much more sense if the body had been stolen for those, those linen cloths to be left on Jesus to make the transportation of the body more easily done. However, it's laying there wadded up, and then here is, here is the, the best thing. The, one, the cloth that was around his face was folded neatly. You remember a lot, you've ever seen, a, maybe you've had this happen, hopefully you haven't, a, a home invasion happens, somebody's broken into your house and has stolen something, usually they don't fold the laundry when they get done with their breaking and entering, right? That's not something you would think about, it's like, we stole something, let's get out of here, okay? No, the, the claws are laying there, the face towel is folded. Amazing detail. And it shows his body was not stolen. He is risen. 
And his resurrection is the receipt that the payment for sin was accepted. Because you could have claimed all day long, oh, I'm going to pay for sins, I'm going to pay for sins, I'm the Messiah. Jesus could back it up because he got up. And so we see that the disciples are beside themselves. He's alive. And it, it, the, going on in, in, in chapter 20, it says that, that John believed that Jesus was resurrected. And I want you to get this really quickly. Jesus' resurrection shows that everything he claimed to be, everything he claimed to be was who he was. Let's put it this way. I'm five foot nine. On a, that's me being generous, okay? That's what I put on. That's what I tell people. You know what he's doing? Like, uh, you know, like it's on like sports stats. You know, yeah, I'm five foot nine, probably five foot eight and shrinking. It may be like that. So I could tell you I could dunk a basketball and I could talk it up all day. I'm, some of you size me up and I'm like, nah, you're not going to dunk a basketball, bro. But I could tell you I could talk junk all the time, but I can't back it up. It would be, <laughs> it would be the most anticlimactic thing ever. I could be talking, I'm going to jump from the free throw line. I'm going to dunk this thing. If it was right here, that would happen. Okay, I can do it at the trampoline park with my son. I can dunk there, but I can't dunk other places. And, and Jesus here has been talking a big game about who he is, but he can back it up. The way he backs it up is the resurrection. So the stuff he says that seems so completely insane to the people around him, and so it angers the Jewish religious leader so much. Things like, like he says this, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me, is backed up by the fact that Jesus rose. Today, Jesus' resurrection showed there's no other way to God. There's no other way, not by being good, not by religious observance, not, not, all, not all religions leading to one God. There is just one way, and it's Jesus. He backs this claim up, how? With his resurrection. Any of those leaders of the other faiths alive? Nope. Ours is, and it's attested by history and by eyewitness accounts more than anything else in the world. Going on, we see this. We see that Jesus backed up the fact that he is the resurrection and the life. And he, said, he claimed this when Lazarus, his good friend, his, his, was dead. And he said to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you know, that's a crazy statement. Only somebody resurrected could back that up. Only somebody resurrected could back that up. Thirdly, I just want you to see this. Jesus claimed that he was the, the, the flesh expression of God's love leading to eternal life. Let me just say that again. Jesus claimed, this is a huge claim. If he's not resurrected, he can't back it up. If he's not alive, he can't back this up. Jesus is the expression, the flesh expression of God's love leading to eternal life. For God so loved the world, these are the words of Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only unique son, the God-man, that, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but... Whoever does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Funerals are awkward business. You been to one recently? They're awful. They are good for grieving. And in Christian sense, when we come together, we, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But so, you've ever, I don't know if you've been to one where there's no hope and just desperation. They're awkward things. There's a dead person in the room in a box, the one person you used to know, used to talk to, and now their lifeless corpse is right there. These are signposts to us. Every funeral is a signpost that shows us this ought not be. This is not the way it was meant to be. This was brought on by sin and death. This this sin has brought on death, and now it's seen here, and we've seen it not just in a larger scale sense of all the world's calamities, but we've seen it now in a personal sense where someone close to us has passed away, and we see the tyrannical reign of death is still here, but, but because Jesus is alive, eternal life is available And what he said, he says, though you die, yet you will live if you believe in me, is true. And the question, that is the good news. That that death is not the final word. Because Jesus was dead, and he's now alive. And so that brings us to this. That's the good news. Got that. Then I'm going to ask you this. Just like I heard the good news to the question of my wife, where she asked, guess who's pregnant? That was good news. Today, I'm going to ask you, how will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to his resurrection? Because I want you to know something. Whether or not you believe that Jesus is raised does not affect the fact that Jesus is alive. It doesn't. You can believe whatever you want to. It's like this. Well, I don't believe in gravity. Okay, all right? We'll go jump off a building. I will, because I don't believe in gravity. Big whoop, you don't believe. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be injured or die. (laughs) Smack. So we just want to get, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be hostile here or anything like that, but I want you to know something. Whether you believe it or not does not affect the fact that Jesus is alive. No matter who believes it differently, it doesn't change the fact that historically we can verify and see that we, can, that we have this testament in the word of God from eyewitnesses. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you believe about it. It is a concrete reality that he is alive and we have to deal with it. But what does matter to you today is how you will respond to that. It doesn't affect the great thing that Jesus has done, but it will affect you eternity forever. So let's fast forward just a little bit further in John's gospel to John chapter 20. Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene outside the tomb. He was in a locked room and he appeared to the disciples. It's a miraculous appearing. We don't need to get hung up on the fact that the door was locked because, hey, he rose from the dead. Okay? Not that hard to get in a locked room. Okay? Verse 24, there was a guy not with him. And Thomas One of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, and I bet you they did. You remember Jesus when he was crucified? He's, the the body's gone. 
and he appeared to us, and he's alive. Do you think that that was on the forefront of their minds? If you go to a funeral, the person gets up, okay, well, we're talking about that. That's going to make the vidette, okay? It'll probably be out long before it gets to the vidette, okay? So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but, and this is a good, don't get down on Thomas completely because we didn't need to, we didn't need to pump the brakes. Reality check here. And he says this. But he said, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So he approaches his response immediately right after the crucifixion and the resurrection is unbelief and skepticism. Some of you here today might be right in that boat. It's unbelief, but you may not categorically say it's unbelief because it may, may manifest itself more as indifference. Yeah, I'll assent to the mental facts of what this is. I mean, culturally, I feel like I ought to believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, but it doesn't make a difference in your life. That is active unbelief. It's... it's in actuality, being indifferent to the cross is unbelief. Secondly, it could just come from a fact that you've not investigated, that your unbelief and your skepticism has come from the fact that you have not even given thought to the fact that it would be true. You find it to be an impossibility. But I invite you, and Jesus will and here in a second invite Thomas, to check out the claims of Christianity. I think you owe it to yourself to check out the fact and to see and to look into the scriptures and to look into historical evidence that Jesus is alive. I invite you to do that. Thirdly, there may be a group of, here, a group of you here or a person here who is skeptical in the sense that you have, you don't know why you showed up, but you have this unflinching belief that this is all hogwash, that this is just something people made up. Now, I want you to go throughout history and look at most of the time when people have tremendous unbelief and they're unwilling to look at the evidence, they usually call themselves open-minded first off, okay? Which is funny, because that's an oxymoron. I'm open-minded, but your stuff is obviously crap, okay? That's, not, that's the opposite of open-mindedness, okay? Secondly, I want you to look at it this way. Most of the time, our unbelief is related to the fact that we don't want to give up the sin which we love the most. And we realize that if this is true, my life has to change. That's not Thomas's case. But he says, he's, he's skeptical. He's been kind of like that if you read him throughout the Gospels. He's kind of been the pessimist of the group. He's kind of been the realist of the group. And we get here, and he says, I don't believe you guys. It's amazing. This guy, fought, Thomas, followed Jesus his entire earthly ministry. And he says, I don't believe you guys. Unless I can touch the wounds, I will not believe. Well, eight days later, on a Sunday, he's with the disciples this time in a locked room. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, peace be with you. If you go back, this parallels the first time he went with his disciples. He said, calm down. First off, it probably, they probably need to say, peace be with you, because like, that guy showed up, the doors were locked, and he's here, 
okay? Secondly, he was dead. Now he's alive. That's kind of, that's a frightening thing. So peace be with you. He's probably like, calm down, calm down, guys. He's got some theological ramifications as well. And we say this in verse 27, and he said to Thomas, Thomas was talking to the other disciples. The other disciples heard him say, "Unless I won't believe unless I touch the scars and put my fingers in his side. Jesus was not there, but he knows. And you can imagine this moment in verse 27, and he said to Thomas, hey, put your finger right here. And see my hands? See my hands? And put, your, put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not go on disbelieving, but believe. And I want you to know something. I, I recognize that there are many of you here today who are skeptical about the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to say a word to you right now. And this word is, is actually really a question. I would like you to think about it. Will you come and see? Will you come and investigate? Here's what happens. Thomas has some serious reservations. Some of us can understand those reservations because people don't just get up from the dead every day. Death is, sim- death is seemingly the final word. And what happens is Jesus shows up and he says the very thing that Thomas did. He said, go ahead and touch my side. Jesus invites the skeptic to come and see. And so here's a word for you. Do not walk out of this place without the intention of coming back and seeing. It's not about attendance here, but I want you to see, I want you to know something, that this gospel, I have, because of the work of grace in my life and the work of grace that's happened in so many other lives here of people who come here and are members here, they have seen, with their, we, have, we have seen that Jesus is resurrected and we want you to see that as well. And don't you owe it to yourself. If Jesus would open up his side and say, come and see, don't you owe it to yourself to at least read the Bible? It's amazing how many people criticize the Bible but have never read it. And if they had read it, they might have a different opinion of it. It is quite an amazing word from God. It is his word, and it will show itself to be his word in power if you read it. It's amazing how many people talk about books they have not read. Like if right now, like if I were to come in here very like, like condescending, like, you guys ever read The Grapes of Wrath? Probably every, many of you, if I'm trying to be, you know, highfalutin, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I've read that. That sounds good. You ever read The Odyssey by Homer? Oh, yeah, my favorite. I read it to my kids before, before bed. Have, have, you ever, have you ever read Don Quixote? Oh, yeah, in the original Spanish. Because uh, that's just what I do. I'm really good at reading. Yeah. It's amazing. Have you ever read? Well, the Bible has so many errors in it. Oh, yeah? Weird. Oh, no. Well, this, the crucifixion story is just completely made up. Oh, yeah? It's got dates, times, eyewitnesses. They could produce the body. They could have ended this whole Jesus movement. There's so much evidence to the contrary. It's amazing. Jesus is alive. It's historically verifiable. So I just asked this skeptic, will you come and see? Jesus opened the way for Thomas to come and see. He said, here, put your hand here. It's the opposite of a magician's trick. A magician's trick is like, 
Don't come up and don't look behind the scenes because you will see the wires and you will see my assistant and you will see all the tricks. Truth does not, truth has nothing to hide. This is a place where you can ask questions about the Bible and about Scripture and about Jesus and about God and not be hammered for it, but be pointed to the truth of his word. Skeptics are welcome to come and see because we got nothing to hide. We put it on the video when you showed up, what we believe. We ain't even kidding, okay? Secondly, Truth has nothing to be ashamed of or be embarrassed of. This book, we'd be glad to explain it to you. Many people here would be. It's what we try to do every Sunday is explain this book. Skeptics, come and see. Will you come and see? What will be your response? Will you come and see? Secondly, there's another one for you skeptics out there. Do you believe that change is possible? Do you believe that change is possible? Many of us believe, well, uh, all those neural pathways have already been uh, decided by our previous behavior, and so change is really not possible, um, or it's very difficult because you have to retrain your brain to do so. I want you to know something. There's some truth to that scientifically, but Jesus created your brain. He can rewire it. Now, get, you, get to this. Look what happens. He says, hey, Thomas, remember what you said? you would like to investigate whether this is real or not, here's my hands, here's my side, have at it. We don't have any record that Thomas actually did it, but we do see in verse 28, he answered, my Lord and my God. He's not using the Lord's name in vain. He, this is an expression that cap ends the gospel of John that shows once and for all this expression from the doubter. It says, Jesus is God and Lord. It means Jesus is the same in essence as God the Father and that he is rightfully Lord seen through his resurrection. And Thomas starts, started Sunday morning out a skeptic and he ended Sunday as a believer. And I want you to know something. One of, some of the greatest evidences of the reality of the resurrected Jesus are changed lives. I want you to know this today. I want you to hear this because Thomas goes from a skeptic to a believer. He goes through from somebody who will not believe the resurrection unless he sees to somebody who proclaims the resurrection and dies for it. We learned that from church history. See, also, one of the guys who showed him, Peter, he denied Jesus, and he ran away because he was afraid of what the Jews, if they killed his leader, they were afraid that they might, he might kill, they might kill him too. So he cursed Jesus, denied him three times, runs away, and he's back. Jesus would restore him. We see that in this gospel. What happens? He goes, and he is martyred for the church. He goes from running away, cowardly away from Jesus, to proclaiming Jesus, even though it sends him to prison and ultimately death, crucified upside down. Now, you're saying, well, that's a long time ago. Is this still happening? Yeah, I was a Facebook post from a friend of mine the other day. His name is Chris. He lives in middle Georgia, and Chris was addicted to methamphetamines. You could tell he was addicted to meth. He showed up at our church one Sunday, and he was like, I'm no longer addicted to meth. 
I'm addicted to Jesus. And we were all like, okay. <laughs> Didn't, hadn't seen that happen. Recently on his Facebook page, it's been three years since he showed up at that church in middle Georgia where I was the youth pastor. It's been three years. He celebrated this three years ago, by, or celebrated this just this last couple of weeks with a Facebook post. I guess that's how you celebrate things now in this world, okay? Facebook, Twitter, whatever. And so he celebrated this. He said, three years ago, I, 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 my life was radically changed by the saving grace of Jesus. And I am no longer the person who was addicted to drugs and had no purpose in my life anymore. But now I'm a follower of King Jesus. The kid's going to Bible college. The kid is following Jesus. He's been to mission trips three years from drugs to this. That doesn't happen with everybody. People that come to Jesus and still struggle with things. I'm not saying this happens to everybody, but I want you to know something, that Jesus changes everything. And you may think that your situation won't change. You tried again and again to get out of the mess that you're in. And I want you to know something. Faith in Christ and in his power and his powerful resurrection and change everything about you. And you can go from death to life, and you can go from sin reigning over you and death being your destination to heaven being your destination and sin crushed beneath Jesus' feet and you reign over it with him. You hear Jesus Skeptic, do you believe that change is possible? It is. You know why? Because the most impossible thing happened. A man who was crucified rose, and he is alive. If that's not impossible, I don't know what is, but it is. it happened. And so there is change that's available. There's forgiveness of sins and new life and a new permanent destination and a new purpose for your life. And the sins and the repeated, pro- the repeated problems that it brings in your life, they can, those chains can be broken and you can have life. Skeptic, do you believe change is possible? This guy started out Sunday an unbeliever. He sees the resurrected Lord and he sees his wounds and he goes from unbeliever to believer like that. The power of the resurrection. You think change is possible? I know change is possible because I've seen it in this very church. People who have been far away from Jesus didn't care much about the things of God. They start showing up. And before you know it, they once did not believe and now they believe. There have been people who have been set free from the chains of their past lives, whether that was lust or greed or just seeking their self above all things. And people have been set free from that because there is power in the resurrection of Jesus. Do you believe change is possible? I do. Not through some political system or by doing good works, but through the resurrected Jesus you can have life by faith in what he has done. Finally, I've had two words for two questions for the skeptic. I want to go with a question here for believers. Believer, those who follow Jesus, do you realize the blessedness that is associated with your believing? Look in verse 29. 
Jesus said to them, have you believed because you have seen me? And Thomas like, yeah. Then Jesus says this, blessed, this is the same word he would use in the Sermon on the Mount. Talk about those who are happy, contented, have purpose, and have right relationship with God. And he says this, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Thomas had the physical resurrected Jesus in front of him. None of us has had that. However, the spirit of God testifies through the word of God, which is the witness of people who have, a, who have seen God, especially the New Testament writers, those who have been with Jesus, followed Jesus, or, or have been called out as apostles of Jesus, and they have this resurrected word, okay? And they, this, this word is an eyewitness testimony, and here's what Jesus says. There will be, there will be a time, because right now, Jesus is ascended and sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He will come back one day. Until that day comes, his church is here to be a witness, just like his apostles were there to be a witness, to tell this good news again and again about forgiveness of sins and new life in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're, that's what we're here to do, is to, 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 to let that be known, to make that known. And so here's the thing. We have not seen the physical resurrected Jesus. We will one day. But there's a great blessedness that comes, a great benefit that comes, a great confidence that comes in the fact that we believe that Jesus is resurrected though we have not gotten the chance to put our hands in his side yet. And I believe, I'm going to echo C.S. Lewis, it's amazing. I am 2,000 years removed from this story and I believe this is as true as the sun came up this morning. I am unshakably convinced that this is true. Even when doubts come in, it's amazing how the Lord just continually points me that, to the fact that this is real and this is life. Believer, today, you need to go home and just enjoy this day for the glory of God because he is risen. The worst thing that can happen to you is that you will die. And guess what? You'll get up. And death is just a gateway to the presence of Jesus. Death no longer reigns. What's the worst that can happen? You're going to kill me? Okay, I'll go be with Jesus until he gets my body back up. It frees you up. It is a blessed hope and truth. Not only that, when we come and we see people at the end of their lives who have trusted in Christ, we don't have to mourn with no hope. We believe as surely as the sun will rise and as surely as Jesus is risen that those who are in him will be raised to eternal life. And that is a great hope. So get your praise on at the house, okay? I'm not saying you got to put on Kirk Franklin or whatever, but what I am saying is that go have a good time. Eat your ham. You can do that now, okay? You can eat some bacon because all things have been made clean through Jesus. Hallelujah to those who know what I'm talking about, okay? So here's the thing. We don't have dietary restrictions anymore. We have the risen Jesus. So go have a good time, believer, because he is alive. Skeptic, 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 you need to mourn. You need to, you're in 
dire danger. Hell is real. And if you spurn the risen son of God who God sent to pay for your sins, you deserve what's coming to you. And so did I. Oh, but praise be to God, you do not have to stay in that situation. You know why this gospel was written? If you don't know, you can look in it and it will tell you why it's written in the verses that precede it. And I'm wrapping up here. It says this. Now Jesus did, this is John the apostle, the one who was a witness of the resurrection and the ministry of Jesus. And he writes this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You do not have to get yourself better to come to Jesus. In fact, as the great hymn writer said, if you wait till you're better, you'll never come at all. This is not about sin avoidance, but about God enjoyment. This is not about get yourself right, then you could be accepted in the brethren. No, it is this message. You are hopelessly dead in your sin, bound for the wrath of God. But praise be to God, he sent his son to bear the punishment of sin, his own wrath, so that through his death, burial, and resurrection, through the witness of this word, you might come and believe that it is true. And through faith, by grace through faith, you will come to the promises of God and you can join the party. So come. Come. Come, believer, rejoice. This is an amazing day. Hide eggs, eat ham, praise God, let the sun shine, let the birds sing, let, let the resurrection be seen in every flower and every tree that buds. Just have a great, glorious day. Skeptic, you need to come and see. I pray that you would just believe that you would turn from your sins and trust him and him alone and what he's done and follow him. Come and see. Come and see. We're going to pray. And we're going to sing. Father, we come with hearts that are joyful of the resurrection and joyful about what you have done for us and thankful that death is no longer the final word. We, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the hope that we have. We also come with heavy hearts for those who don't know how great you are. And we pray that you would make faith appear in their hearts, God, that they would trust you, that you would do your work of salvation, that those who are far off would come that those who are skeptical would at least consider who Jesus is and would consider the good news and they would consider the response to that good news. God, this is that day where we feel the burden of sin and death and those who don't believe and we see the joy that, that we have. 
what you have done. Help us. Help us to worship you and enjoy you, but also help us point others to you. God, bring many sons and daughters. Bring many to faith. Let faith arise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.